Welcome to Walk in Truth. These are the Bible teachings of Pastor Michael Lenz, equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people and how to apply that truth to today's issues, trends, and culture. Learn more about the program and our church when you visit walkintruth.com. Now, here's Pastor Michael's teaching in Psalm 14 called, The Fool Says in His Heart. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They have committed abominable deeds. There is no one who does good. The Lord, Psalm 14, 2, has looked down from heaven upon the sons of men to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They have all turned aside together. They have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, no, or not even one. Do all the workers of wickedness not know who eat up my people as they eat bread and do not call upon the Lord? There they are in great dread, for God is with the righteous generation. You would put to shame the counsel of the afflicted, but the Lord is his refuge. Oh, that salvation, that the salvation of Israel would come out of Zion when the Lord restores his captive people. Jacob will rejoice and Israel will be glad. You may be seated. Lord, tonight we cry out to you for our nation, for the church around the world, for all that is going on. Um, We are here with one heart to cry out to our God. Where we are weak, would you make us strong? Where we lack faith, would you increase our faith? Where we find ourselves sometimes uh, overwhelmed by life, would you fill us with hope and power? Would you baptize every person hearing the sound of my voice with boldness and faith? And Lord, tonight, no matter what may be going on in our lives, may you refresh us with living water. Just the sweetness of your presence and the corporate Worship that we experience is so wonderful and so good. And we bless your name tonight and we pray that whatever you want us to hear, as we open our hearts to you, may you speak, may we have ears to hear and hearts to respond in a way that pleases you. In Jesus' name I pray, if you agree, would you say, amen. Now you look at the heading of the psalm for a second, the top of the psalm, many of the psalms have headings on them. If we know the author, for example, if we know the nature of the music that was there, and here we have a heading, notice it says, for the choir director, it's a psalm of David. So David is our author. Remember, we learned when we did the beginning introduction to the psalms that David has penned about half of the psalms that we know about. So David, this is King David, the sweet psalmist of Israel. If you have a new King James, it addresses to the chief musician, and it's all capitalized. If you have a new American Standard or some of the other versions, it says, for the choir director. Who is the choir director? Is this Asaph? We don't know for sure, but there are some views that the choir director addressed here, as it relates to the King James, new King James especially, is God himself. That God is the ultimate choir director which is an interesting thought. And for all musicians who have that kind of giftedness, it is interesting to think about that music actually originates from God. And there is a a psalm that's actually quoted in the book of Hebrews. I think it's a psalm, and it's quoted in the book of Hebrews, which implies that God one day will sing over us. 
And it is interesting that after Jesus uh, broke bread and did the Last Supper with the apostles, they sang a hymn together. By the way, we don't have to wonder what they sang. They would have sang one of the Psalms and most likely one of the Hallel Psalms, which are located in Psalms 113 through 118. So Jesus did sing. I would imagine he had a beautiful singing voice and still does. And when things get quiet in here and you guys break out into singing, it is wonderful to hear your voices as they rise to God. And whether you feel like you have, you know, not so great a singing voice or you feel like you do have a great one, I believe that there is a filter in heaven. I'm, I'm clinging to that because I am not the best singer. But I think that God rejoices in the praises of his people as much as he inhabits them. But I think he also, it brings him joy when we sing to him. And he touches us back. Isn't it a beautiful thing? Every time I sing to him, he touches, he touches me back in a special way. And, you know, I can be having a day, uh, like many of you, just kind of one of those stressful days where, you know, things are just happening and you're just kind of going with the flow. And whenever I just stop and pray and seek his face, man, everything changes in my life. That's what worship does for me. And I'm sure that's what it does for you. Did uh, David address the chief musician that is God Almighty? I'll leave that up to you. I, I don't know if it's that significant, but uh, here you have the heading, you have the author, and you have the opening verse. The fool, Psalm 14, 1, has said in his heart, there is no God. The word for fool, if you're interested in Hebrew, is Nabal. It's N-A-B-A-L. And we'll talk about a man who actually went by that name, and we meet him in our Bibles. The Hebrew word for fool, Nabal, N-A-B-A-L, means one who is foolish, senseless, and wicked. The fool, in Psalm 14, when the first two words there are often contrasted with the wise in the Bible. In fact, if you've read through Proverbs or Ecclesiastes, you see this contrast constantly. It says the wise man or the wise woman does this and the fool does that. And it's always a contrast. And by the way, in the Bible, the wise distinguished or contrasted from the fool does not really have much to do with mental ability or acumen or smarts, as it were. The fool in the Bible is one who tries to live his life in rebellion to God or her life in opposition to God or by denying God's existence. That's the fool in the Bible. The wise person in the Bible is the person who knows that they have all these shortcomings that we all know we have, but still tries to pursue God and live according to God's uh, law and his dictates and his plan. And so that's the contrast there. Here the fool is addressed, and the fool is a senseless person. One writer says the idea of the word is that of a man who has no sense or perception of ethical and religious claims. So it is not that they lack mental ability, but spiritual or moral sensitivity. They are, they are not open to the things of the Spirit. They don't understand that they can't discern spiritual things. So David doesn't have in mind, says one writer, those who are not smart enough to figure out God. No one is that smart. He has in mind those who simply reject God. In the New King James, we can see the, from the italics that there is is added by the translators. And so literally what this person says 
in their heart. And almost like a mantra is no God, no God, no God, no God. And I'm talking about N-O-G-O-D, capital G-O-D. There is no God. There is no God. It's a mantra. They have to keep telling themselves that to make them feel better. James Montgomery Boyce says, this is practical as well as theoretical atheism. Not only does he not believe in God, but he also acts on his conviction. And so he says there is no God so that he can live, she can live the way that they want to live. This is not an evidential conclusion, is what I'm saying. They haven't made this conclusion based upon the evidence that they see or don't see. This is a moral conviction, or a lack of morals, as it were. They want to do what they want to do. They want to live the way that they want to live. Therefore, they must say that there is no God. And it is interesting, when you've read some of the works of some of the modern atheists, Most of them will not appeal to scientific evidence for their conclusions, but rather to moral freedom or a lack of morals. They want to do what they want to do. And so the easiest thing is to try to dismiss God. And that's what Charles Darwin, Origin of the Species, did for many people. They had something to hang their hat on. The fool says in his heart, would you notice where he says it, where she says it? It's right in the heart. So This again affirms that this is not an intellectual objection to the existence of God, but it is rather in the person's heart that they wish that God would simply go away for moral reasons. Jesus said it's out of the heart that things come out that defile a person. It's not what goes into the stomach and is eliminated that defiles a person. It's not unwashed hands or diet choices that defile a person. It's what comes out of a man which defiles a man. And Jesus was specific that it's what comes out of the heart. Now remember in Hebrew thought, and even moving into Greek thought, the heart is not your pumping organ, as incredible and miraculous as that is, but your heart is the center of you. It's where you make your decisions. It's the center of your mind, your emotions, your will, and your intellect. And it is right from the will of this person that they've decided to say, there is no God. I will not live in subjection to you or to your ways. Right in the heart, they make the decision. And so you can be assured that the Bible identifies this kind of decision-making as a heart issue. The heart is deceitfully wicked above all things. Who can understand it or who can know it? It's desperately sick, Jeremiah 17, 9. And so it's not, this is not an issue of, I just don't have enough evidence to believe in God. The evidence is all around us. But this person has decided from their hearts that I don't want to follow God. So they must come up with a mantra, a saying, there is no God, there is no God, there is no God. Now, I would contrast this person with someone who is a wrestling agnostic. An agnostic says, I just don't know if there's enough evidence. I'm still struggling with the question. I'm still checking out different views. I'm still reading books. Okay. You know, there's certainly wiggle room if you're, if you're at that point where you're an agnostic. And by the way, gnostic or gnosis is the word for knowledge in Greek. And the A before it cancels out the knowledge. So the person who is an agnostic just simply says, I don't know. I don't feel like I have enough information to know. And I've shared the gospel with people like that before. And they've said, I'm just not sure or I don't know if I'm ready. And 
You know, I used to be in sales, so I was always a closer. Anybody else? Uh, anybody else a closer out there? I like to close the deal. You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment. If you just tuned in, then you missed the first half of today's edition of Walk in Truth. That's okay. You can listen to this episode and many others whenever it's convenient for you on your free Living Truth app. Walk in Truth is also on your favorite podcast app. Simply search for and subscribe to Walk in Truth on apps like Apple Podcast, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Player FM, Google Podcast, Stitcher, and many more. Listening to a podcast as well as radio is a great way to get some time in the Word when you're walking, catching up on some work, or if you're like me and just need to listen to some Bible teaching while getting ready in the morning. Remember, you can find Walk in Truth on the Living Truth app or wherever you get your podcasts. We'd love to see who's listening, so please connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Just do a search for Walk in Truth Show. Now, back to Pastor Michael Lance, right here on Walk in Truth. This is not an issue of, I just don't have enough evidence to believe in God. The evidence is all around us. But this person has decided from their hearts that I don't want to follow God. So they must come up with a mantra, a saying, there is no God. There is no God. There is no God. Now, I would contrast this person with someone who is a wrestling agnostic. An agnostic says, I just don't know if there's enough evidence. I'm still struggling with the question. I'm still checking out different views. I'm still reading books. Okay. You know, there's certainly wiggle room if you're, if you're at that point where you're an agnostic. And by the way, gnostic or gnosis is the word for knowledge in Greek. And the A before it cancels out the knowledge. So the person who is an agnostic just simply says, I don't know. I don't feel like I have enough information to know. And I've shared the gospel with people like that before. And they've said, I'm just not sure, or I don't know if I'm ready. And, you know, I used to be in sales, so I was always a closer. Anybody else? Uh, anybody else a closer out there? I like to close the deal. But I've learned that I need to be sensitive to how the Holy Spirit is moving. And though I want to plead with people to be right and reconciled to God, I still need to realize that some people... You know, if they were to pray the prayer on the spot with me, it may not be sincere. And that is certainly part of what we're after. Now, the fool, somebody might say, well, why would you, why would you categorize, David, somebody as a fool who says there's no God? Isn't that unfair? Isn't that uncharitable? I mean, what is the evidence? Well, let's turn over to Psalm 19 for a second, just a few pages to your right. And let's see something else that David said about the evidence that is out there. Psalm 19, familiar to many of you. It's also a psalm of David. And here's what David says. He says, the heavens are telling of the glory of God. Psalm 19, 1. Their expanse is declaring the work of his hands. Notice how often this happens. Day to day, those heavens pour forth speech. It's like it's poured out on humanity or, or poured down. Not only is it day to day, but it's also night to night that, that uh, those heavens reveal knowledge. There is no speech. There's no corner of the earth. There's, no, there's not some poor person living in the bush somewhere that can't have access to this general revelation, if you will. Nor are there words where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out throughout, through all the earth. Their utterances, what the heavens declare, 
to the end of the world. In them, he, God, has placed a tent for the sun. Now he gets into some specifics about these things that declare God's glory. The sun is one of them, which is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber. It rejoices as a strong man to run his course. It is its rising is from one end of the heavens and its circuit to the other end of them. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. I was looking at a picture of the sun earlier today as in comparison to the moon and then to the earth. And to our naked eye, the sun appears to be about as big as the moon. But the reality is that the sun is many times bigger than the moon. But the difference is that the sun is farther away than the moon. So to our eye, they look similar in size, but they are not. In fact, I don't know what the number is, and I don't have it in front of me, but you could fit uh, so many Earths uh, within the the diameter of the sun, it is remarkable how huge this ball of fire is and how it keeps burning and how we're just the right distance away so that we're not fried. But we're also just the right distance away so that the earth doesn't completely freeze. And the more that astronomers and scientists study this stuff, the more they say there is a precision a, uh, to, the, to the way that the universe works and the distance of the earth from the sun and the moon that is so precise. Uh, sometimes the wording is used as the universe is fine-tuned. And it's just another declaration that there is a designer. Uh, let's turn over to Romans 1. And as you turn to Romans 1 in your New Testament, let me just say to you that this is, this is not as complex as sometimes we make it. The argument from... Uh, cosmology called the cosmological argument, and there's also the teleological argument, um, just says, just take a look around. And it's not just looking up. It's also looking sideways to consider the brain, the eye. Romans 1 is what you want. The circulatory system. When a baby is born, you get cut and your body heals. You have fingers that you don't have to really think much about it, but your hand is cleverly designed. Your eyes, your sense of smell, your taste buds. You just start thinking about all of these things and just on a basic level, you, you just have to say, what? The argument is that this is a cosmic accident? And then you talk about the precision and the fine-tuning of the things that are created and if you've ever seen a picture, and I know it's hard in Southern California, but if you've ever saw a picture of where all the, the stars in the sky seemingly can be seen, and there are billions and billions of stars just in our galaxy alone, not to mention the other galaxies that have been untapped. And somebody I read earlier said, just imagine the power it would take a being to create the sun and to hold everything together the way it has to be held together in our universe. And that's just what we know of the Milky Way galaxy. Our God is such a powerful, amazing being that it caused David to say, when I consider the, the heavens, the work of your fingers, the stars, the things that you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him? And the son of man that you take thought of him 
And he goes on in that psalm to say, Oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. If you made the sun that fireball, you made the moon, you made the distant galaxies that we have not even tapped, why is it that you think of me? And Paul picks up this theme in terms of what is created in Romans 1 when he says these words, the wrath of God 18, Romans 1 18, is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness. And many believe that Psalm 14 needs to be uh, have a reference to ungodliness as, as it cross-references or contrasts with godliness. The wrath of God, Romans 1.18, is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Who, what do they do? They suppress the truth in unrighteousness. I jokingly one time said, teaching through Romans, atheists have to take a truth suppressant every morning. It's almost like a cough suppressant. You, you take it every day so you can push away the reality of everything that's crying out and bombarding you day after day and night after night. Just from the physical creation alone. We'll get into the internal revelation in a moment. But just from what has been made, you have to take a truth suppressant. You literally have to push it away. R.C. Sproul gave this analogy. He said, if you've ever been in a pool before and you had a big beach ball and let's say you're batting it around with your friends and family... And you took that ball and you try to submerge it under the water. Inevitably, what happens? The ball pops back up, right? This is what truth does. It keeps popping back up. And you so, so you have to keep pushing it down. This is the Greek word for suppress. It literally means to push truth down or push it away. And that's what people have to do who deny God. They have to literally push it away and push it down. And that's why sometimes you get angry responses from people who say they say there's no God because you're a reminder to them that there is a God and they don't want to hear it. And when people tell you they don't want to hear it, it's because they're hearing it day after day and night after night. You see, they're already hearing it just from the physical creation alone. And we could go into plant life and aquatic life and many of the things that we could talk about right now. But here's what's happening. They're suppressing the truth. And notice how they do it. It's in unrighteousness. It's because they want to live an unrighteous life. Because, Romans 119, that which is known about God, it's not only external, brethren, it's evident, what your Bible say? Within them. For God, God is the one who did this, made it evident to them. In the very next chapter, in Romans 2, 14 and 15, it tells us that the law of God is written on human beings. Even Gentiles who do not have the law, they didn't have the oracles, they didn't get the Ten Commandments. The Jews got that. But they instinctively do, Romans 2, 14, the things of the law. Not having the law, they're a law to themselves, in that they show, Romans 2, 15, the work of the law written where? in their hearts and their conscience. That word conscience means with knowledge. Con is with, science is knowledge. So it's uh, the laws in their hearts and their conscience bears witness to that law and their thoughts alternately either accuse them when they don't keep it or defend them when they do keep it. You've been listening to The Fool Says in His Heart, Part 1 on Walk in Truth. That was Pastor Michael's teaching in Psalm 14.
Remember, if you missed any part of today's program, you can listen to Walk in Truth on the Living Truth app or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth on this station and on your podcast app. If you'd like to watch this message by Pastor Michael in its entirety, subscribe to our YouTube channel, Living Truth Christian Fellowship. You can find the channel and learn more about Walk in Truth on our website, walkintruth.com. Now, here's Pastor Michael. Well, we are celebrating nine years on Crossover FM out of Utah. And I'll tell you, uh, they have a great staff there. We've had the blessing of uh, coming out to Cedar City uh, a couple of times. And those are some good memories, Pastor Joe and and staff. And we just wanted to say thanks for the partnership and just a shout out to our listeners uh, on Crossover FM. What a privilege it, it has been for the last nine years to be uh, ministering together and uh, to have a listening family out there in Utah is so wonderful. Well, we've added a few new stations, uh, thankfully, because of our partners. And those stations are WUCG and WCDG, and uh, they are in Georgia. And they're an extension of today's Christian country. They've added some stations. Now we're aboard on those stations, and we are going to be on KEPT on a primetime spot in the San Francisco Bay Area, San Jose area. We are so excited and so grateful. Hey, we just wanted to say, hey, greetings from Pastor Michael and the Walk in Truth staff. We're excited to be on the station. We appreciate it so much. We're celebrating what God is doing, giving him the glory, and thanking you for partnering with us. We love you. We'll see you here tomorrow. And join us tomorrow for part two of Pastor Michael's message in Psalm 14 called, The Fool Says in His Heart. I'm Mike Massaro. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth. Our goal is to equip you to reach out with God's truth to all people.